Welcome to the Aviation Scopecast. In this monthly podcast, we cover current events that impact the aviation industry. And whether it is the manufacturers, the airlines, the financial markets, or just little bits and pieces we stumbled upon, all of it has a chance of being featured on here. Who are we, you might ask? I'm Helen Spro, responsible for the aircraft financing sector at Scope Ratings and with a background in structuring and arranging aircraft financing transactions. And I am Frank Netscher. I work at Scope Analysis, where we cover real assets from an equity perspective. There, I am responsible for all transportation-related assets. Together, Helen and I aim to get you as enthusiastic about aviation as we are. Please keep in mind that our statements reflect our personal opinion, not necessarily Scope's view on the topics covered. With that being said, let's get started. Hello and welcome back to Flight 010. The vacation is over, well, at least mine is, and after a short summer break, we are back with our podcast. And as always, we'll start with a look back into the history books before we turn our attention to current developments. So, Helen, welcome back to you as well, and what interesting historical fact did you find? Well, thank you, Frank. First of all, it's very nice to finally speak to you again. I hope you had a lovely holiday. Uh, on the video here, I can see you look slightly tanned, so it was more successful than mine. <laughs> Um, uh, when it comes to the historical facts, because uh, I wanted to find something a bit uh, simple and uplifting uh, for this month. So I found that on the 3rd of August 2017, uh, Boeing actually did a test flight and they flew uh, one of the Dreamliners and actually drew a Dreamliner over the US. And you can actually see it on uh, Flight Radar 24. And it's, it's actually impressive how they managed to properly draw a Dreamliner. You could see that it's a Dreamliner. Uh, you're you're such a geek. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> if you put your imagine, uh, imagination to it, you know like it's not a 747, for instance. So I thought that was very uh, impressive. And I also found out that the first time an aircraft actually uh, portrayed uh, another airplane, airplane in this fashion was in 2016. So it's quite a new, uh, a new what you call it, um, yeah, invention from the airline industry. It, it doesn't get more random than this. No. I just uh, I saw a couple of weeks ago the the Qantas drew a kangaroo into the yeah. sky over Australia to to say goodbye to the seven four seven I believe, and uh, Highfly flew their three eighty um, across some beach in Portugal in like only two hundred meters altitude, and everybody was panicking and fleeing the beach. So that was stupid. They weren't even drawing something. They just wanted to say hi because they needed to fly the thing. And so there are nice YouTube uh, videos of, of mass panic at the beach. So uh, oh, high fly. Well, well, well done. Well done. Yeah, if an A380 come flying towards me as well, I wouldn't take my chances. I would run. No, they thought they, it was trying to, to land on the water. So they, they, they really panicked. Can you imagine? It's just, and they were like, yeah, but we announced it. Well, nobody is checking high flights Twitter. Sorry. No. Before you go to the beach, just check if yeah. an aircraft is going to land nearby. <laughs> and what about you, Frank? What did you find for your August event? Um, as always, not as uplifting, um, but I want to um, celebrate a birthday. So on July 24th, um, 1897, Amelia Earhart was born. Uh, so I want to give her a shout out because she was um, actually the first woman to cross the Atlantic Ocean. And then she became the first woman to do it solo. And this happened in 1928 and 1932. And actually, in 1933, she also became the first woman to, to fly nonstop coast to coast across the USA. 
uh, so far for the uplifting part because um, in 1937 she tried to become the first uh, woman to fly around the globe and well she fell 7,000 miles short and she disappeared over the central Pacific Ocean so neither her plane nor her nor her uh, co-pilot were ever found I actually heard about that and there's a lot yeah. of theories out there isn't oh it? yes they landed on the deserted island and potentially could have oh, been found, but wasn't. So, so many good speculation going on there that yeah. she, she, she changed identity. And then I believe a couple of years ago they found a sextant and a skull on that island. They were uh, celebrating and happy be uh, until they found out it was from a 60-year-old dude that passed away 100 years ago. But, um, yeah, up to now she, she is a pioneer. She, she, um, she was a game changer for, for women in, in aviation. And... Yeah, there are lots of stories and anecdotes and songs and books about her, but um, I really didn't know that she, she disappeared on a flight, and um, the remains haven't been found until today. So I found that quite striking and interesting. Yeah, I think that's a good historical fact, uh, Frank, because like you mentioned as well, uh, she was sort of the female pioneer in aviation and a great role yeah. model for many probably at her time and also going forward. So. Yeah. I thought that was uplifting, even if you... Uh, okay, she, she might be alive, so we, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. exactly. Libby living heavily after, happily after, after, ever after on her little uh, Pacific island. Exactly. So, but um, obviously a lot has happened since our last episode, um, since we took a little summer break, and since probably most of us have either been on vacation or at least did a bit of vacation plans, we want to see what possible innovations COVID-19 can bring to the world of aviation. We also look at the current situation of Virgin Atlantic and, of course, of the Boeing MAX before we say goodbye to Queen. And um, did I mention that most of us were planning their vacation or were on one? Well, not all of us, um, since Helen was busy trying to predict the future of aviation, um, as she put it so nicely. So on that note, Helen, why don't you start us off with today's episode? Let's do that, Frank. Uh, yeah, like you said, uh, there are like the current pandemic is something that's really badly affected the aviation industry, and we'll probably see the effects for many years to come. But one of the interesting things that we've seen in history as well is that when we enter a downturn or something changes in the market, there is a lot of innovation coming out of it as well. Mm -hmm. And one of the few things like that quite a few probably have heard of already, is the corona testing that they're now doing at airports. Yeah, that they found should, a way yeah. of, yeah, quickly, uh, quickly do the testing. You can either, in Frankfurt, you can either do it, I think, six hours before your flight, or uh, 12 hours, uh, oh, sorry, 36 hours before your flight. And I also heard that in the Norwegian airports, they're also planning to introduce this um, going now forward. So I think that could potentially be something we'll, we'll see in the future, that uh, you could test for those um, uh, infectious diseases on the airport before you fly abroad. Yeah, I actually have a friend who took the test in Frankfurt because she was uh, stranded in the U.S. actually, visiting family, um, flew over in, in February and then um, didn't want to go on, a, on an aircraft to come back for, for, for obvious reasons. So then now, um, I believe two weeks ago, she finally... Uh, yeah, well, was uh, brave enough to do it, and then once she landed in Frankfurt, she, she did the test, and she got the results, uh, I believe, four hours later via, via, via email. You, have, you get a QR code, and uh, your data is on the blockchain, 
So, um, as you said, it's it's fostering innovation. So, um, and I think those uh, test kiosks will pop up more and more. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And we've seen also, like I've done a, done a bit of research on it now, and I found another interesting uh, innovation as well, where in 2013, um, uh, Arthur Kreitenberg, uh, he's a physician and uh, inventor, together with his son, he came up with a product that disinfects uh, aircraft. And they do it by using ultraviolet light. Mm -hmm. And then uh, after the Ebola outbreak in 2014, they started approaching the airlines with this invention. And Alaska Airlines were uh, letting them do the tests on the aircraft. Uh, but unfortunately, they didn't have any success at that point in time with the airlines. So they ended up selling their products to hospitals instead. But of course, now uh, with the uh, corona outbreak, uh, they've seen a lot more interest from the airlines. And yeah. if I remember correctly, the uh, airport in Seattle, Painfield, is actually now both a customer uh, of them and also an investor into this uh, new mm -hmm. product. Yeah, it's necessary. And I actually think it's a, it's, it might sound a bit strange, but I think um, COVID might actually fix flying for the long term. Yeah. Because what is the, the worst thing about flying? The absolute worst thing. Food? Airports, checking in. Yeah, that's getting, true, the way getting, getting on your plane is absolutely highly annoying. So, um, and now I, I Googled a bit as well, um, what new ideas pop up. So, um, it, it starts at, at check-in, so that you have like a pre-security waiting area, uh, where you can actually have your food delivered to, so you can actually order and they deliver it because you're pre-security, so everybody can enter. And uh, they try to get uh, rid of all the touch screens so that you can um, use kiosks where you can scan your phone, your app, so you, that you don't have to touch anything and that your boarding pass simply becomes a QR code and you can self-drop your luggage. So uh, less, um, less contact neither to, to, to people nor to, to uh, machines and buttons. So um, I believe the, the whole check-in process will be fully digitized. Yeah, very smoother and less uh, stressful. I yeah. also um, heard about this company, I don't know if I pronounce it right, but Linistry, uh, they've come up with this remote queuing app uh, for mainly for, um, for shops, supermarkets, etc. But when mm -hmm. I was reading about it, I thought maybe that is something that can also be applied to certain airport. Because like you say, the, the waiting in line uh, and the long queues, if you would be able to remote queue by using yeah. this app, so that when yeah. you arrive at the airport, you could just go straight in. That would yeah, because, make the... yeah, because after after 9-11, the whole um, airport layouts actually, actually changed, and everybody tries to funnel all the people through one point of entry, which is a disaster in the current climate. So, yeah, so, so they have to change the layout, and, yeah, virtual queuing, why not? I know from China, when you, when you order a food or something, you have it on your app, and it says, yeah, where you're, like, five, five people from now, you're on. And so uh, you don't have to stand in line, but just uh, come and pick it up. Yeah, brilliant. And also uh, going through security, which is the second uh, thing. So also there, get rid of the human interaction. I mean, you have airports now where you just tap your, your passport to, to unlock the, the barriers. You scan your boarding pass. You have your picture taken. And um, now they're working on it that um, that you don't even have to open your luggage. I think in Frankfurt or Munich, I, because I went through it once, 
Uh, there is also the security where you don't have to get your liquids out of your, your um, carry-on luggage because they scan it inside. Oh, that's convenient. So that, yeah, oh, very yeah. much. Because all those crazy people in front of you who try to bring a gallon of water on board, yes. And, um, and they're also introducing thermal cameras, so it's just for the fever check. And they actually have, I believe it was Hong Kong, might be wrong, I forgot about it, I didn't write it down. They have like a walk-in full-body disinfection stall. So really? you, you go in, you get sprayed with, I don't want to know what, and like, like a walk-in tanning booth, you know? Yeah. And then they, they take like your temperature, wash. they yeah, like a car wash actually. They take your temperature, they spray you with DDT, I don't know. They uh they they scan your iris <laughs> and then you're good to go. Um I'm not going into the, the topic of data security here, but um just just convenience, you know? And also, if you, when you navigate the terminals, they uh, they start with robots as new employees, so robots uh, going around sterilizing um, like high-touch surfaces and, and restrooms, and also scanning people um, to see if everybody is wearing a mask. Oh yeah. So so That's this 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 started as well, and then obviously the last step would be boarding, that you have a touchless departure, so um, automatic boarding gates where you just scan your phone. They do exist, obviously. But um, also, they scan. They could scan your face so that um, they know the passport belongs to the person. And so, I think it would be possible to get onto the plane without um, talking to anybody, which I highly appreciate, and without touching anything, which is also a good idea. But I think until it's fully automated, it will. Um, the consequence would probably be that you have to arrive at the airport even earlier. Yeah, it sounds like that now, at least like. A lot of countries seem to require or appreciate at least that people have done the corona testing in advance. And yeah. even if you can do it six hours before your flight, it, it is this six-hour wait. For those of us that travel a lot, we all know that we normally show up, visit uh, an hour before departure, running through security to minimize the amount of time you have to spend at the airport. So hey, I'm, in, I'm in Berlin. I, I arrived for boarding until... Yeah, that's my strategy as well. Hand luggage and just run through. But I think, like, especially what you said about the robots, I think in the past it's been sort of an economic convenience to uh, to come up with uh, robotic solutions, if you could call it that. But now you had the additional incentive of social distancing. Yes. So I think you will really speed this up. And I read about a very interesting program, actually. Uh, it's something called Aviation X Lab. And it's an aviation-specific initiative uh, by five global uh, sort of aviation giants. So you have Emirates Airlines, Tails, Collins Aerospace, GA Aviation, and Airbus. And they put together this Aviation X Lab uh, to, um, uh, to foster innovation. So anyone in the entire world can send them innovative solutions for current problems related to Corona. Uh, yeah, in order to fix problems of social distancing, virus, the virus spreading at the airport. And mm -hmm. I think that what I read about it, you have to have sort of an idea that it's halfway ready for the market. You have to have at least a pilot, etc., in place. But I think it's a good way of using the whole market and every everyone to contribute towards the same same goal of diminishing, diminishing this uh, pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, yeah, we both expect um, flying to, to be different. 
Um, and I think the last step would be, uh, what about on board? What do you expect changes when, when actually in the plane? Yeah, like I, I actually read about innovation there as well, because that's been uh, something I've been very interested in lately. Uh, yeah. So um, uh, there is uh, this uh, UK-based uh, founder uh, called Luke Miles, and he has come up with, um, how, how would I explain it? It's a company called Interspace, and it's a set of panels embedded into the upholstery of uh, the seats of the aircraft. So when mm -hmm. you sit in there in your seat after takeoff, you can pull down sort of a, a screen on each side of it. Ah, okay. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. he in, originally invented this because it would be more comfortable flying because you can lean uh, mm -hmm. against them and sleep. But now especially, we'd like to keep as much of a distance to our fellow passengers as we can. So it would feel also more secure to be able to sort of pull down uh, panels uh, to prevent yeah. direct contact to the person that sits next to you. Yeah, I've seen quite quite a um, quite some ideas popping up uh, in regards to to dividers, or uh, and the standard solution seems to be just to get rid of the middle seat. Yeah. Um, I mean, who wants to to use the middle seat anyways? But um, what would you think is is the impact of for, for ticket prices getting rid of the middle seat? Of course. I mean, it, no, yeah. normally you need like a load factor of I don't know almost eighty percent in order to break even. And getting rid of the, the middle seat, if my math is correct, and I just use a narrow body, would, would put you down to two-thirds yeah. in regards to the, to the load factor. So will it raise ticket prices, or what will yeah, happen? That would, I mean, I, yeah, that yeah. would be the natural uh, response, yeah. wouldn't it? Because the airlines aren't that, if they weren't that profitable uh, even before this crisis, because the airline industry is a very competitive industry with low margins. And yeah. now with this on top of it, uh, yeah, the natural result would be that we have to pay more to fly. Yeah, and also um, another another point that popped up somewhere is um, there will be a lot less business travel. So people will still be going on, on, on holidays, but um, business travel, I mean, we all know by now that, that the, the Zooms and WebExes and Skypes and Teams do work. It is obviously not the same, but they do work. So there will be, in my opinion, a lot less business travel which can also impact the, the ticket prices for the normal flyer because uh, business travel kind of subsidizes leisure travel because business travel is a lot more expensive. So uh, airlines were actually able to, to sell those cheap leisure tickets because of the business travels. And so I think that will also have, have an impact on prices. So I, yes, I expect them um, to, to, be, to be quite low for the next month because everybody's trying to get back into business. But then, on the, in the long term, I would, yeah, I would also expect them to be to be uh, more expensive than they have been for the last couple of years. I think uh, I think I agree with you short term when it comes to business travel, but I am not so sure about sort of the long term impact on business travel because I remember during the financial uh, crisis, the global financial crisis, uh, that that was sort of the the argument of everyone why airlines would never get back to pre-global financial crisis levels again, because we had now found new ways of conducting business. But it came back because I feel like it's a, it's a natural part of our, uh, uh, yeah, our instincts as humans. If you do business with someone, you want to meet them in person, you want to shake their hands, you want to get an impression of who they are and if they're trustworthy. 
Because in business, we talk about large sums of money. And if you're going to hand that over to someone, especially in the financing sector, you want to know they're trustworthy. And uh, the same for the, the salespeople. In order to properly convince someone to uh, invest into their products, they rely a lot on personal interaction. So I think here and now we're, we're sort of scared of traveling and business travel might go down. But I think in we, we forget so easily and so quick as human beings. Mm -hmm. So I think within a couple of years, we'll uh, jump on an aircraft again and fly oh, away. Oh, yeah, yeah. To... Within a couple of years, no no argument. I think the, the big difference to the financial crisis is um, the financial crisis and the lack of business travel was due to, to money. This time it's about health and money, so it is it is a big difference. And I think as long as we don't have a vaccine, um, there won't be a lot of business trouble going on. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. That's a very so shout out, shout out to to Russia who uh, bypassed some health testing and just um, puts vaccines into people's bodies. So I hope it works. Yeah. Good good, good luck everybody involved. Um, I saw that as well. So yeah, yeah, no matter who comes up with the vaccine, if it's spread around the world and it's accessible to everyone, I think the faster that happens, the faster the uh, airline industry will be back on track again as well. Hopefully, because I haven't been in a plane since March and I'm not really missing it, but it's more convenient because uh, for my vacation, to, to mention my vacation again, I actually rented a car and drove it to Croatia. Um, instead of flying lovely which lovely right yeah only took uh, 13 hours um but um it was the better option for me yeah you got to see <laughs> a lot on the way as well didn't you i feel like this flying especially if you're used to flying a lot for business it's sort of when i go on holiday and i fly i it takes me some time to realize i'm not on a business trip but the few <laughs> times i take a car trip it, it sort of feels more like a holiday and more relaxed i have to admit and we could bring more wine back home, so that was a plus as well. I believe that as well, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, enough about my holiday. Um, let's move on to the next topic, which is uh, Virgin Atlantic and the, the latest developments there. And I must agree, uh, I must admit I'm not uh, the expert on this. I What I know is that they, starting this month, they filed for bankruptcy. Bankruptcy protection, sorry, uh, in the US under chapter 15. And then I tried to understand why 15, and then I understood because um, um, the, well, that, uh, the debt, the assets, the parties of interest are spread across multiple countries. So it had to be chapter 15. Um, yeah, and um, well, they were not conducting any flights for a couple of months, and they returned to business in July. So, Helen, do you have any, any insights to get me up to speed here, please? Uh, I think I don't know that much more than you or the general market, oh, perfect. Uh, I have to say. But like you said, um, I thought, first of all, it was very interesting the way the media handled it. Because, mm -hmm. of course, you and I and people in the aviation industry, we know that filing for Chapter 11 or filing for Chapter 15 means that this airline will, in theory, still operate and you can yes. catch your flight. But for the general public, when they book, in, uh, book a ticket to go on holiday, 
uh, something they've been looking forward to, and they open the newspapers, and it says uh, Virgin Atlantic has filed for bankruptcy, it can be sort of misleading. Uh, because, like you correctly pointed out, they filed for bankruptcy protection, yeah. which means that the creditors cannot go in and uh, repossess the aircraft. And I've always sort of had a bit of an ambiguous feeling towards Chapter 11 and also Chapter 15, because from an investor's point of view, uh, if you lease an aircraft to an airline, you do not want the airline to go into default. Uh, but of course, under a Chapter 11 or 15 scenario, you can't actually repossess the aircraft. Yeah, it's so actually worse than, <laughs> than an insolvency. Exactly, so you can't get hold of the aircraft and you have to renegotiate lease rentals uh, with the airline. Under normal circumstances, when the market is good, uh, I would say it's a massive disadvantage. Because back in, let's say, 2015, you would want to repossess the aircraft and then release it or sell it to someone else, another airline in the industry that would pay full rentals for it. But under the current market conditions, I don't think it's necessarily a big disadvantage for investors that they file for Chapter 15. Because even if investors went in to repossess this aircraft, there wouldn't be anywhere else to place the aircraft. So yeah. now at least uh, it's a higher likelihood of the airline uh, actually not completely defaulting and at the same time even if they have to renegotiate lease rentals they will get part of the lease rentals which yeah, they no. wouldn't necessarily if they repossess the aircraft and no other airline would take it. Yeah and also uh, one thing to, that we should mention is um, that they only operate white bodies so you don't really want to repossess a white body now. Not at all. It would, it would be a different story if it's a 320 or a Max, but uh, no, well, not a Max, obviously, but a 737. But um, Virgin um, Atlantic only operates a white body. So, um, yeah, and what yeah. to do with white body at the current moment, yeah. I think You're it's right also interesting. They, they had, um, um, regards to the, the, they were looking for a rescue pet package. And because they said without the, the cash necessary to pay for the bondholders, uh, they would have to. Uh, they would have to sell their Heathrow slots, uh, which would be the end of their business. Yeah, practically. So that's 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 basically their 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 claim there. So, uh, but uh, the UK and, and Delta, which was their main shareholder, they actually uh, refused to assist financially. So this is how we get uh, get to this point. And the last standing bidder is a Bain Capital, and they are now in a in a war with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with two, uh, two major bondholders, I read, um, uh, I think we can name them, um, Broadpeak and Tor, because they're also pushing for a deal uh, which would uh, switch their unsecured creditors into equity. So sort of so like a Norwegian deal. Yeah, 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 exactly. And they, they claim that their model would bring a return, uh, they would deliver 50 to 67 uh, cents uh, uh, in the dollar, and Bain's solution would only bring bring back home a ten cent on the dollar. So, but I mean, yeah, this remains to be seen. I think it's more uh, a war to get better conditions, actually. Yeah, you use everything you have, don't you, at this point? Yeah, of course. So, but I also read that like the restructuring plan is a five-year business plan, and I was surprised to see this in the press release from Virgin Atlantic that they actually expect to return to profitability after 2022. 
So I thought that was very uh, optimistic, if I can put it like that. <laughs> Ambitious. Ambitious, that's the right word, yes. <laughs> so hopefully for, for investors, for the airline, for passengers, like I truly hope that they, they manage to get through this restructuring in a sound way and also yeah, streamline their business a bit more um, to yeah. get a more profitable uh, business model in the future. But I still thought 2022 was, yeah, ambitious for an airline that has just filed for Chapter 11. Yeah. Did you actually ever fly with them? Yeah, I think I've flown with them a few times. But, oh, okay. Yeah. I, was setting you, I was setting you up for a joke. I was expecting you to say no, and then I wanted you to, to uh, say, speaking of things that don't fly, let's move on to the next topic. The, seven, the Boeing 737 MAX. I think uh, that was a good joke, and I think that's a good introduction <laughs> to the new topic. <laughs> yeah, but guess what? Uh, the Boeing MAX, is, uh, it, it moved closer to flying again. Yeah, I heard. Like, you're a shocking development. The... The one that stayed the most updated on the Max recently, I think. So tell me, where, where are we now and how does it look for the Max? Yeah, well, uh, latest development is that the, the, FAA, the FAA, so the Federal Aviation Administration, they uh, suggested four design changes to, to address the issues. Um, and uh, once those are completed, then um, it would start to look good, but um, then I said, okay, I'm interested now in what four design changes we're talking about. And um, I found the list, and I would say they sound rather logical. <laughs> so it basically boils down to um, the problem was the, the sensor that um, overrides the, the pilot's input. Uh, so, um, well, the first uh, patch would be that you actually have two sensors instead of one. Which is probably that that work, then. yeah, that would help as well. Uh, well, um, possibility of failure is obviously a, a lot uh, smaller, but um, I think everything in a plane would be like double and triple checked. So that was sounds like not the best idea to have only one sensor in such a critical position. So yeah, why not use two? I mean, they probably cost two dollars each. So yes, so that would be the first uh, change. Uh, the second um, design change would be um, if there is a disagreement between the sensors, uh, the software would be disabled. So if one sensor says uh, pitch up and the other says no, don't, and then it would, the system would be shut down and then you're back to automatic controls, which also sounds logical. Yeah. And uh, also, the third change would be when the system is triggered, uh, it would be a lot less aggressive because the previous system just overpowered the pilot. So the, the, the system was pushing the plane down, the pilot tried to, to lift the nose but couldn't, so it crashed. So also, yeah, sounds, sounds logical. I, I can yeah. agree that this makes sense. And the last one is that um, if, they, um, if the system continually re-engages, it will be switched off. Okay. So if the pilots override the system, it remains off for the remainder of the flight. Okay. So it all boils down to why don't you use two sensors instead of one, and please make it less aggressive, and if there's a disagreement, please let the pilot take control. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, well, in one, yeah, if you look at it from one side, it is rocket science, obviously, because it's a, it's a highly delicate piece of equipment flying. But on the other hand, this sounds way too simple. 
Yes and no. Like it's easy to be clever in hindsight. Though. We've seen yeah. like some of the the worst accidents that happened <laughs> when we've uh, when we realized, yeah, what's happened and how it happened. We've implemented control measures that prevented it from happening in the future. They've very often been very simple. But uh, like I'm, I'm tempted to say though uh, that Mac, the Max aircraft will probably be one of the safest aircraft to fly in the future because oh because yeah yeah. Of the, if yeah. they screw, if they screw this up again, they they can they can close shop and just uh, roll out a new model in ten years. But um, so what what Boeing hopes is that they are back in the air early next year. Um, after obviously the changes have been made, and um, what I also read is that um, that uh, a leasing company expects the the market share of the Max. In the narrow body segment compared to to Airbus, to to only be at at 30 35 percent. So they expect Airbus to take home 65 percent of the market share. And um, what's also interesting, or not interesting, I mean it's not surprising, but in July alone, um, Boeing lost uh, 52 Max orders. As so, um, the order book, the backlog of the Max, has uh, shrunk. Quite a bit this year. Can you can you, do you, can you guess how many planes have either been cancelled or removed? I Only guess max? around maybe a hundred. Yeah, eight hundred sixty-four. Eight hundred sixty-four. <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah, I was far <laughs> off there then. So, um, yeah, it sounds a bit shocking. So the so the backlog now is uh, three and a half thousand max, and for the three twenty, it's six thousand. So, which also, um, I mean, I mean, these why the estimates where they stem from. So, maybe looking forward, Airbus have, will have two thirds market share in the narrow body segments. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah. So, deliveries for the Max, Boeing says they will pick up again in in Q4 this year, because they are 450 stored, and they they want to deliver them within one year. So, but I mean, I, yeah. I don't necessarily think, though, that's uh, the market I've sort of, it looks, when you say 800 aircraft, it looks like the market have lost its trust in MAX. But to me, it also sounds like it, it is a good excuse for airlines now to cancel orders uh, because of the coronavirus. And oh, when yeah. they cancel orders, then the MAX would be the easiest one to negotiate with one of the manufacturers. So I think maybe like in a few years from now that we'll see uh, the Max picking up and being a good competitor to the Neo again. Yeah, but still it will be quite an old design then. I mean, it already is. It is somewhat based on a model from the 60s. So, yeah. yeah. So maybe, predict. yeah, maybe 60-40 for Airbus. Um, also, I believe if the, the 321 XLR that will also um, get quite. I mean, it's 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 a niche model, obviously, but um, um, Boeing has no competition. Has has no competitor for it. Um, so yeah, I think um, going forward in five years from now, max the max share will be at most forty percent, at most, and they will uh, develop a new model way faster than Airbus will. Because they just have to, yeah, and they okay. will burn billions of dollars, yeah, they already have.
they have yeah made all the compensations for the max aircraft that both yep. to the airlines that are delayed that isn't flying uh, you know that are parked and also because of two accidents that happened mm-hmm. um yeah it's going to be a, a tough road for uh boeing yeah the only thing that might uh, might help them is uh if we have a vaccine and uh, traffic picks up again and airlines and leasing companies just can't order any Airbus because the the backlog is full. So that might that if if the the development is more positive than we think at the moment, this this will probably help Boeing yeah. because they would be able to provide um, companies with with planes. So and and they also stated that they, they will produce thirty per month again. And, and a lot of people were like, yeah, guys, maybe slow down a bit and only uh, keep it to twenty, maybe. But um, so we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, because it depends all on the oversupply in the market as well, what's going to happen yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. You see that the, the airlines are phasing out the older models, they're retiring aircraft much earlier because oh, of the what a nice, what a nice transition. What a nice transition to the last topic. Thank you. So, the last topic is? The last topic is the <laughs> 747, of course. The, uh, our, uh, what you call it, happy-go-lucky, uh, but a bit sad at the same time uh, topic uh, for this episode. And yeah, that the 747, the queen of the sky, is retiring and Boeing is going to stop producing the 747. And yeah. I think I, I have to say, that, yeah, I got so great memories with the 747. Um, it was actually the first ever aircraft I flew in my entire life was a 747. Oh I, I actually wanted to do to ask you what your first flight on it was. So, it was from uh, Oslo to I can't remember if it was Phuket or Bangkok in Thailand, uh, and I was. That 15, was your first flight. Yeah, I'd never flown in my entire life before because you what? know I'm Norwegian, so I was summer holidays. They evolved around uh, playing in the forest or going to the cabin in the mountain. So the first time so uh, yes, ever but... the family traveled uh, was uh, to Thailand. You can imagine oh how exotic that was. And then, yeah, in Oslo, we entered then the 747 from Scandinavian Airlines. And uh, I, like I said, I can't remember because we did uh, did a stop and flew on, but I can't remember if we landed in Phuket or Bangkok. But it was still, yeah, the most amazing experience. Huh. Yeah, that beats my first flight on it because mine was in a cramped uh, British Airways Heathrow to JFK flight, but it was um, my first time in New York City. Was uh, flying in on a on a seven four seven. It was after I finished my civilian service, which we in Germany had to do uh, up until a couple of years ago. So it was either military service or civilian service, and um, you get a compensation after finishing it. And I had a friend um, working for a year in in Manhattan. So I said, screw it, and I took my compensation package, jumped onto the 747, flew to him, and spent uh, two weeks in Manhattan. And I, I think I managed to spend all of my my money. And and uh, on top of that, yeah, but it was it was. What stands out was obviously Manhattan and not the 747. But that was my first flight on it. Yeah. It was like no matter where you fly, and no matter how crammed the aircraft uh, is. The first time you enter a 747, you're just in awe, aren't you? That's something yeah, you want to that... go upstairs, but you're not allowed to. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and also that um, 
yeah, something that big. I remember thinking that when I saw it from the window at Gardermoen uh, Airport and I saw the aircraft and I could not understand how that could ever take off. Yeah. So, most thrilling experience, I think. And you always recognize the plane yeah. because of the silhouette, so that, that helps as well. Um, and I think it's, it's quite amusing that they will uh, roll out the last one in 2022 which is one year after the last A380 rolls out. So they actually managed to produce it longer than the A380, and the 380 was supposed to be the, success, uh, the successor of it. Um, but no, the 747 has been around for 50 years now. Impressive. And um, it, is, it is really impressive, but um, obviously no, no more orders come in. The last, uh, they delivered the last passenger version actually in 2015 to Lufthansa. So there haven't been a new one. Um, so the only one they will be delivering up until uh, 2022 is then the freighter, then 7478 yeah. freighter. Yeah, I believe they have 15 remaining orders they have, yeah. So okay. 15 remaining freighter orders, and that's the, the whole of the backlog, and they will deliver us until 2022, yeah. No uptick um, in demand for cargo even, even now. And, yeah, but I also um, I found a nice fact. Um, which somewhat was surprising and scary, but um, the not the the eight model, but the seven four seven four hundred, so the um, like the common one, I would say, uh, which was first introduced in the end of the eighties. They still are oh, they. It still receives critical software updates uh, through floppy disks. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the three and a half inch floppy disks. So once a month. Some some poor guy has to upload, I believe, eight or ten floppy disks into the system for the uh, latest airport and navigation data. And I don't know how I feel about it. No, I'm, I agree with you there. <laughs> that, uh, but, you know, floppy disks, they worked in the past, so why not now? Um, yeah, probably more convenient than rip out the whole, the whole um, dashboard. But, um, yeah, I just found it a bit. Strange, updating, I, uh, updating uh, jumbo jets with floppy disks. Yeah, I also uh, found it quite interesting, the press release that Boeing published, now that after 50 years they're going to retire the Queen of the Skies, one of the favorite mm -hmm. aircraft of the majority of people. Uh, and uh, yeah, did you read the press release, Frank? Uh, only the the bullet point regarding the seven four seven, I believe. Yeah, and then some some other, not not the whole thing, because it's just so so dry and boring. Well, it's a press release. It's a corporate press release. But I thought they would be put a bit more fireworks to it, you know, retiring yeah, their icon. Especially dedicated press release just to the seven four seven, but they ended up, like you said, just mentioning in a bullet. It's point. It's a bullet point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I was also slightly disappointed, but uh, thank God for Qantas though that gave it a nice send-off, and El Al, Israel Airlines, they also gave it a nice send-off, was it, yeah, in November um, last year, where they drew a 747 aircraft on their uh, last 747 uh, oh, okay, flight. Okay. So it's gotten a good send-off by the airlines, and also many passengers have celebrated it, but I think Boeing should put out a dedicated press release to the... They have to. Yeah. And speaking um, of sending offs, I think before we continue to, to, to bore our listeners, uh, our dear listeners, I think it's time to, to wrap this one up and um, 
yeah, I think with that being said, we'll end today's flight. Um, please do not hesitate to reach out to, to either one of us um, via LinkedIn or, or our emails. You'll, you'll find us, you know our names. And uh, thank you to everyone for listening. And yeah, please stay, continue to stay safe and healthy out there, please. Thank you, Frank, and thank you to everyone listening.